Well, hey, we're in Ephesians chapter 6, if you'll open your Bibles there. Ephesians chapter 6. So as you're making your way there, by way of introduction, you know, there's a story that's told about a, uh, a kid that uh, really wants a new car. And, uh, and so he talks to his dad and he says, hey, dad, would you buy me a new car? And, and his dad tells him, look, son, here's, here's a couple of things, you know, you're going to have to get a couple of things to get a car. One, you're going to have to get a haircut. And secondly, you're going to have to get a job. And the, and the kid's like, okay, I can understand you want me to get a, a job, dad, but, but a haircut? He says, absolutely. He says, well, Jesus had long hair. He says, yeah, and he walked everywhere he went too. Well, we're in Ephesians chapter 6, and uh, God's Word is intensely practical, and here, as we're continuing through it, we're going to look at today at what it means to be a good employee and what it means to be a good employer. And so, you know, it's interesting. Contrary to popular opinion, the task of Christianity is not merely to get us ready for heaven, that's part of it, but rather the major task of, uh, of Christianity is to equip us to live faithfully in the present, and, and God's word is intensely practical. It has a lot to say to equip us to live faithfully in the present. And the message of the scriptures tell us how to handle life, how to be born again and secure the hope of newness of life, and how then to walk in that newness of life uh, with all of the world's pressures, with all of the world's problems. And accordingly here, when Paul transitions in the book of Ephesians from our wealth in Christ, which is the whole first half of the book of Ephesians, talking about all the wealth that we have in Christ, he transitions now to the second half of the book of Ephesians, talking about our walk in Christ. Look, this is what you've received. Now you got to put feet on it and you have to walk in newness of life. And so as Paul makes this transition, again, intensely practical, he details five different areas where we are to walk in newness of life. He says that we're to walk in love. He says that we're to walk in light. He says that we're to walk in wisdom. Fourthly, walk in submission. And fifthly, he says that we are to walk in in power. Now, next week, we're going to dig into walking in power, but we're still on this issue of submission. We've been here for a few weeks. Uh, we looked at how wives are to submit to their husbands as, as the church is to submit to Christ. Uh, we saw how husbands' uh, submission in Christ uh, is just as Jesus submitted to the Father. We have to operate that way. We looked at last week how children are to submit to their parents, uh, just as we as God's children are to submit to Him as, as our Heavenly Father. And today what we're going to look at in this area of submission is this issue of submission to employers uh, and, uh, you know, as employees, how we're to submit to our employers and, and as bosses, how we're to submit uh, to the Lord. So we pick it up uh, in uh, verse 5, and here's what Paul says, uh, Ephesians 6, verse 5, Bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart, as to Christ, not with eye service, as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. In verse 9, he continues, And you masters do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. 
Now, he says there, starting out in verse 5, bondservants. And, and if you're given to notes, you wanted to circle that, and thereby, here's what you could write. You could write the word slave, because that's literally what this means. And in the culture in which this was written, there were basically four reasons uh, that they had slaves in, in Rome in, 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 this, in this time. There's, uh, the first two reasons are, are potentially moral reasons, and the second two reasons are profoundly immoral reasons, uh, but four different reasons for having slaves. One was uh, paying off a debt. If you entered into a contract to borrow money from someone in, in this time, in this age, what would happen is you would commit, you would sign on the dotted line, and you would say that if I, for, for some reason, can't repay this debt then I will go into servitude. I will become your slave until I can pay off this debt. Now think about if Citibank did that. Think about if, if Bank of America did that. Do you think we would have the indebtedness problem that we have today if, they, if we agreed, look, I won't weasel out of this. I won't find a way to not pay you. I won't declare bankruptcy. You will become a slave. You'll pay this money back, right? There, you would think long and hard about the contracts that you entered into and, and whether or not you borrowed money. And so the first reason that, they, that there were slaves is that people borrowed money. They couldn't pay it back. They had agreed ahead of time. Okay, if I can't pay it back, I'll become your slave until I can pay it back. And so, so that's the first reason. Second reason they had slaves was by voluntary choice. By voluntary choice. This was, you know, it was a vocational path. Someone would decide, you know what, I want to go to work for you, I just, I want to be, I'll be your slave, and, and you know, it, I'm, I'm just going to not have to worry, but one less thing to worry about, I'm just, I don't have to worry about looking for a job, I don't have to worry about where I'm going to live, I don't have to worry about, you know, how I'm going to get fed, it, it's, it's kind of like, and I, I don't want to, you know, directly equate it to it, but it's kind of like, you know, joining, joining the armed forces, like, hey, three hots and a cot. That's cool. You know, and I'll just do that. That'll be my career path. And so that was the second reason, a voluntary choice to, to, to go into uh, becoming a slave. Third reason, an immoral reason, it, this was if you were conquered in battle. You were a prisoner of war. If you were conquered in battle, they would take you as a slave and you would be a slave for, for the rest of your life. And the fourth reason was... Uh, if you were abandoned as a child or an infant. It was not uncommon during this, this time that, you know, if, if a family, you know, they were hoping for a boy and they had a girl, they would literally place her on the trash heap. Uh, or, you know, there would be, you know, a, another child of some sort, maybe an illness or born with, with some sort of a birth defect, and they, or they just couldn't afford the kid anymore. And so it was like they'd th- literally throw them out with the trash. I could go off on a big old long tangent there, but we as a nation are in big trouble right now because of the, we've taken this attitude into, into our day and age and into our culture. Hey, you know, you don't want the baby? Just throw it out. Just dispose of it. And so what would happen is there would be those that would see these children and they would opportunistically take these children, whether it was a girl and they would, you know, commit her to a, a life of prostitution 
uh, for, for the rest of her life or whether they would just simply take the kids and they would say, you know what, you're my property now uh, and, and you're going to work for me. And so these last two reasons, you know, profoundly immoral. And so all of these reasons together, reasons why uh, there, uh, there was slavery. And, and it was widespread. As a matter of fact, um, at the time of this writing, owning slaves was so widespread that fully half of the of the the population was comprised of slaves and people you know the 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 way the law worked you could kill the slave you could you could do anything you wanted with the slave because it wasn't seen as a person it was seen as a possession and, and so with half, half of the population being in slavery of, in some capacity, and as Paul writes this, you know, basically what we see here is, well, you reasonably could say fully half of the church, most likely, were slaves. And so intensely practical stuff. This is area where, you know, the, this issue of submission it would have significant implications in the church. Now, our modern equivalent to this, as we read through these verses, we, we don't have slavery today, but we do have uh, employer-employee relationship. And some of you employees, you're like, I feel like I'm enslaved you know, to this the employer that I work for, or whatever the case may be. All my employees are sitting in the back. They're like, yeah, that's the way we feel. Um, no, no, they don't. But at any rate, um, it, you know, that would be the modern equivalent. So, and, and here's the thing. God just doesn't care about what happens when we die. He cares about what happens when we're alive. And God doesn't just care about what happens in the church. He, he cares about what happens in our lives because we are the church. And so, again, this very intensely practical, very precise, uh, God has exhortations for those in, in authority, the boss. He has exhortations for those under authority, the employee. And listen, the Bible makes it clear that there is an established order. That's what we need to understand. There's an established order of authority that God has established and, and, and to which we are obligated to submit. Romans chapter 13, verses 1 and 2 says, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Now, I want you to notice that that word authorities that's used there is in the plural. And, and the, the point is, is that there are many God-appointed authorities to whom we are to submit. And James 4, 7 says that we're to submit to God, that he is an authority in our life. Ephesians 5, 22, wives, submit to your own husbands as unto the Lord. So, so there is that, that authority that God has established. In uh, 1 Peter 5, 5, here in, in Ephesians 6, verse 1, it says that the younger people are to submit to their elders. Children are to obey their parents. And so there is that level of authority that God's established. And in Hebrews 13, 17, it says that Christians are to be submissive to their spiritual leaders. So again, another level of authority. And here in, in verse 5 of Ephesians chapter 6, the Bible adds that we're to submit to masters, speaking of the employer-employee relationship. Now, does God really care about you and your job? That's the big question, right? And, and in answering that question, here's what I would simply say. I would simply say that our Lord Jesus himself worked a job. And, and, and what we see is that he became a man. Jesus lived without sin. And, and up until his early 30s, Jesus held a job. 
He worked with his father as a, cop, as a carpenter, swinging a hammer, doing a job. And, and, and the point is, is that Jesus' worship, and this is important, Jesus' worship, it didn't begin the day he started preaching. Uh, it didn't begin the day he started teaching. It didn't begin the day he started healing. Jesus worshipped the day he began obeying as a child. That was Jesus worshipping. He worshipped the day he began obeying as a child, obeying his mother and father, and he worshipped as an employee working under his father. Now, we know this is true, and it's reflected if you look at Jesus' baptism in, in Matthew chapter 3. Jesus goes and he's baptized. Now, what has Jesus done in, in ministry up until this point? Nothing. He hasn't done a thing. And so he goes to be baptized by John, and what happens, the dove descends, and a voice booms from heaven, it's the voice of God the Father, and he says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased, right? Well, so what was it that God was well pleased about in Jesus at this point? And here's the answer, Jesus had been worshiping the Lord in his obedient life, as he obeyed his mother and father, and he, as he obeyed working as a carpenter. And so there at that young age, in his early 30s, as he's baptized, the Lord would look at Jesus, who's been faithful as a son, faithful as a servant in, in the employer-employee relationship, and the, Lord would, the Father would look at him and he would say, uh, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And, and so, you know, we see this, this idea, it's carried forth here into Ephesians. In fact, when we were in Ephesians chapter 2, in verse 10, it says there, Paul says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. That, work, that word workmanship means we are his poem, means we are his work of art. And God is expressing us, expressing himself through us. That's the idea. And the idea there is that there is work that God has prepared and ordained that we should do. Now, again, work for Jesus, it's this opportunity uh, to, to worship the Father. And for us, our working is that opportunity to worship the Father, uh, to do a good job in authority, and to do a good job under authority. And, and in so doing, we not only worship the Lord, but we bear witness to God. Now, we prayed this today, and I pray it every Sunday. James 1.22, where we're exhorted to, to, to not be hearers of the word only, but that we are to be doers of the word of God. And, and it's interesting, a, a, a friend of mine sent me an email just yesterday, and he was talking about how he was studying through Romans chapter 2, and he pointed out Romans 2.13, which says this, For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. And he said, hey, this is, this is very much like you know, what you quote from James all the time. It's the same attitude. It's the same idea. And he, and he pointed out this, and it's, it's, it's awesome. I, I'm like, it fits perfectly with the study. Consider it stolen. But that word doers that's used in Romans chapter 2, it literally means poem. And, and here's the idea. The idea is that us being doers of the word, uh, it, again, it can also be translated being a poet of the word. And, and the idea is how we work is supposed to be a work of art where Jesus is reflected, and where Jesus is glorified. 
And so if you are a construction worker, if you are a pilot, if you are a shoe salesman, if you are a teacher, those are good works that he has prepared beforehand that you should walk in, and your performance is to be a poem and a work of art. My question for you is, is it? Is it? What kind of employee are you? And here's the thing, that what I'm going to share with you is information and probably scripture that you've read before, but, but without application, it's just abstract information that isn't going to change your life. And so what I'm, what I'm going to ask you to do is prayerfully consider, what kind of an employee am I? What kind of an employer am I? Because you are going to give an account for this, and what we've just well established is that your life in the way that you perform at work and you think, you know what, this work, this job that I do right now, I don't even care about this job that I do right now. This is just a stepping stone to the job that I really want. Hey, listen, God would say that that work that you're doing right now has been given to you by him, and it's supposed to be a vehicle through which you write this, this poem of love to the Lord and that you manifest and, and, and are an example to those around you. So again, whatever your occupation is, that's how you're to worship the Lord. This is true whether you're paid or whether you're unpaid. Moms, here we are, Mother's Day, right? You profoundly unpaid. But, you know, that is the good work that that the Lord has predetermined and, and, and destined you to be a part of. I was, I was looking, because uh, every year salary.com publishes the latest statistics on, you know, what uh, stay-at-home moms actually uh, are worth, what, what, what would be their earning potential um, if they actually got paid for what they did. Um, and um, so according to salary.com, a mom's job requires a, 11 distinct skill sets. Uh, teacher, CEO, psychologist, cook, housekeeper, laundry operator, computer operator, facilities manager, therapist, janitor, and driver. And they, and they, they computed all this and they said the average stay-at-home mom works 96.5 hours per week. That's her work week. Uh, and if she were paid commensurate with the responsibilities and all, she would make $118,905 a year. You're underpaid, moms, right? You're underpaid. So, so whether it's a mom with a kid, whether it's kids doing their chores, whether it's a growth group leader leading a growth group, whether it's a volunteer in the church doing whatever it is they're supposed to do uh, or, or, or whatever it is God's called them to do or whatever it is that you do to pay the bills, this is the kind of work that we're talking about here. And it, and it is to be an expression and an act of worship to the God who made you, and he gave you this work for you to write, for him to write this poem through you in that workplace. That puts your job in a whole different perspective, doesn't it? And so this is the idea. And again, how's it going? How's it going with you? And so, again, the point that Paul's making here is, look, this, our work is how we as Christians, one of, the, one of the ways that we as Christians, that we worship God. And you think about it, the, 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 America is obsessed with work. Uh, and for many, work has become this god and this idol, and that's a whole different message uh, there. But, but think about the amount of time that you give to your work. If you're, if you're employed full-time, I mean, the average person isn't working just a 40-hour work week. They're working a 50, 60-hour work week. And so we spend a lot of our time 
and a lot of our day and a lot of our energy at work. Doesn't it stand to reason that if that is where we're spending a lot of our time, that we ought to glorify God in that place? And so many times, and I've talked about this before, where we try to, we try to compartmentalize our life. And it's like, well, this is the Christian part of my life, and, and this, isn't the, this is the non-Christian part of my life. And so, you know, what I do, well, Sunday, and that's when I go to church, and, and maybe I'm super spiritual, and this is my growth group time, and that's when I, I go to growth group, and, and maybe I've carved out, carved out a niche of, you know, 10, 15 minutes of, of devo- devotion time during the day, and, and so we think, okay, that's compartmentalized, that's my time for God. And then so many of us, see, we talk about the wealth in Christ, the walk in Christ. Christians love to talk about their wealth in Christ. Love to talk about the wealth in Christ. You start talking about the walk in Christ, where you've got to put feet on your faith, you've got to start living it out, that there's some duties, some responsibilities that you have to do. We don't love that so much, you know? And so it's like, I, I would rather, you know, be a hearer of the word and, and think that, you know, me and God are all good and rather not live it out and put feet on my faith and be doer of the word. So again, work, we spend a lot of time there. It's a big part of our lives. It's got to be an area where where we worship the Lord. And and so Paul says, hey, look, this is is the idea. It's got to be an area where we worship the Lord. So Paul now, he gives several directives on, you know, those that are under authority and those that are in authority, some, some practical directives for how you're supposed to live this out. How are you supposed to worship the Lord? He starts with those who are under authority. And what's he say? What's the word? Obey. Right? Bond servants, be obedient to those who, who are your masters according to the flesh. So the word is obey. You're like, what's that mean in the Greek? It means obey. That's what it means. That's the idea. Literally in the Greek, what it means is, is it means that you obey, you submit to, you, obe- you be obedient to. And at this point, we, we have to consider two questions. We have to ask two questions. Number one, what authority am I under? And secondly, am I obedient to that authority? So what, obe- what authority am I under and am I obedient to that authority? Now, some of you at this point, you'll say, I have no authority over me. It's an interesting thing. Have you noticed the people that work for themselves typically can't work for anybody else? And, and we joke about it. We're like, I couldn't work for anybody else. You know, so I work for myself. So, so a lot of people, they'll say, look, I don't have any authority over me. I'm the boss. And here's what I would say, two things about that. Number one, you're wrong. You aren't the boss. And the second thing I would say is that if you have that attitude, you're in danger. You can't just laugh it off. You can't just go, well, I can't work for anybody, so I work for myself. You can't just take that attitude and laugh that off. Now, maybe you do work for yourself, and we're going to get into that because that would, you know, make you both the boss and the employee, so you want to you pay attention. But here's what I would say. Listen, you're in danger if you have this attitude that I have no authority over me because even Jesus was under authority, right? He's under the authority of the Father. He was under the authority of Mary and Joseph, and the point is, is that we all have to be under authority because we're sinners by nature and by choice, and we, we, we need to be under authority. This is, this is critically important. Now, some of you, you say, okay, that's fine, but I'm going to choose what authority I'm under. And again, that would be problematic because here's the truth. You're either a person who submits to authority or you're a person who resists authority. 
And so if you say, well, I'm going to choose whose authority that I'm under. Again, we've talked about this issue of submission. It often comes up in the husband-wife relationship. And what I like to say often is that people have an idea of what submission is until they have to submit. And because submission, it doesn't even begin to be defined until you disagree. So what happens oftentimes is we say, well, I'm going to choose who I'm going to, who's, who I'm, who's going to be in authority over me because what we're going to do is we're going to look for those people with whom we agree. And you say, well, shouldn't that be the way it is? Shouldn't we you know, have a certain agreement? Yes, but everybody is under authority. And all of those that are in a governmental position have their position of authority given to them by God. And so we need, to, we need to, to, to think about that. Again, Romans 13, 1 and 2. I'm going to put it right back up on the screen for you. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are, what's the word? Appointed by God. They're not appointed by you. They're appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. I mean, think for some of you, maybe that's the issue right there. Maybe that's your takeaway today, is your resisting of authority. And you're like, wow, Pastor Ted, somebody make you mad this week? You got an axe to grind? No, this is where we're at in the scriptures. This is what we're going through. We all have to take a walk with this because ultimately what happens is the person that's in authority over us, at some point, we're going to disagree with them. At some point, they're going to irritate us and it's at that point when we have to decide, am I going to be submitted to that? Because this person clearly has the authority that's been given to them by God. And so at that point, it's a matter of, guess what? I don't really respect the person, but I'm going to respect the position and I'm going to respect the one who gave him that position. And it's a matter of, I'm going to salute, I'm going to salute the badge. You know, I'm going to salute the authority behind the badge. And, and so this is the issue that, that we have to do. Because, again, if you resist authority, if you're that person, ultimately the damage that you're going to have is the damage in your relationship with God. So this is why Paul adds in verse 5, he says, Bondservants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh. Here it is, with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as to Christ. See, the issue is, it's a heart issue, right? It's a heart issue. This is what we're talking about. Years ago, I'll illustrate this this way. Um, Caitlin, she, she's my middle child, my strong-willed child, the one I should have named Teddy. You know, that's Caitlin. And always in our face, always, you know, uh, everything, everything was an argument with Caitlin because she had a strong opinion. Uh, strong-willed kids make great adults. Just, it's just a matter of whether they're going to make it to adulthood. If you're going <laughs> to, I brought you in, I'm taking you out, you know, kind of thing. If you can get them to adulthood, you're good. So Caitlin, man, one of the things that was ridiculous about Caitlin, I'm just going to give you all her dirty laundry here. I'll get an email from her this week. Um, no, she would, she would go into a bathroom, and it would be like a bomb exploded in there. There's makeup everywhere, and hair, curling iron, and the, it just like everywhere. Somebody online, they posted a picture of a bathroom that looked like that, and the, the caption said, and they yell at us for leaving the toilet seat up. You know, <laughs> everything's there. <coughs> so, ammunition for a fight later on, I don't know. But Caitlin... This was, this was her, you know, uh, spiritual gift. It was, she, would, she was a tornado everywhere she went. 
And it was always a full court press for Brenda and I, telling her, hey, look, clean up your room, clean up your room, clean up your room. Kiki, come on, clean up your room, for crying out loud. And so one day, Caitlin, is, she is going to town, man. She's cleaning everything, and she's, she, I'm, Brenda and I are thinking, wow, she's turned a corner. Everything is awesome. Come to find out, she's got a boy coming over to the house. She's not cleaning for us. She's cleaning for him. And, and so, again, the issue is it's, it, it's, it's, a, it's more of an attitude. It's a, it's a heart issue. And, and here's the point of application. Maybe you hate your job. Maybe you hate your boss. My question for you is, who are you serving? See, because Caitlin, in that point, she wasn't serving us. She was serving the one for whom she had affection. And, and so the point for us is we have to understand, again, your job is a place where God wants you to glorify Him, where He wants to be magnified and worshipped. He wants to be seen through you. What is a poem? What is a work of art? Ultimately, it's an expression of the artist. And so God wants you being obedient in that place. And so you have to answer the question, if you've got a bad attitude where your work is concerned, and you can have the laundry list. My boss is an idiot. They don't, nobody knows what they're doing. And I'm taking advantage of it. I'm underpaid. And I'm overworked. And, you know, whatever it is. And all of that may be true. But ultimately, I would ask you the question, who are you serving? Who are you serving? And I'll go through that, you know, here at the church. You know, again, I've been a pastor for 20 years, 20 plus years, and, and there's, there's a lot to do. I mean, we're a mobile church. We got lots to do, lots of setup, lots of teardown, lots of everything, you know, and, and it's in, I mean, to, to pull this thing off, I mean, we have, you know, over 100 volunteers that are working, that are laboring. We had a, another church come in recently. They're working to, to develop um, their uh, their church, they're just, they're just starting, just getting, getting going. And so off, this happens often. People will come here. They're like, hey, you got to go to Reliance Church because they got a pretty um, you know, elaborate setup and all. And so they'll come here to see how we do it. And one thing that everybody always walks away with with their jaw on the floor, they're like, you have so many volunteers. We're like, yeah, there's a lot of work to do for crying out loud. And, and so what happens, though, inevitably, when you've got so many people who are working, every once in a while... We'll encounter somebody who, who has a bad attitude about it. And, and inevitably, the way that it'll come out is, is that there will be, they either bail and you never see them again, or they'll come and, and they'll confront the leadership and, and they'll be angry with the leadership. I'm, I'm, I'm working so hard and you don't appreciate it. Or I'm working so hard and I feel like you're taking advantage of me or whatever the case may be. And inevitably what I will say is this. I'll say, listen, who are you doing it for? Because if you're doing it for me, then, to, then you just need to stop right now. Because that's not, you know, this isn't about me. It's not about the pastors. It's about Jesus and we're here to serve the Lord. And we as the body of Christ, we're a family. And guess what? The family has jobs to do. We got, there's dishes to, to wash and there's, a, there's, you know, food to put away and there's stuff to clean up and there's a yard to be mowed. Don't drive by my house right now. But there's a yard to be mowed um, and there's, there's work to be done. And, and that's what a family does. A family just does it. Family just has to do the job. And so again, we have to ask ourselves the, the question, if we're disgruntled or if we're upset, who am I doing this for? 
Charles Spurgeon said this. He says, grace makes us the servants of God while still we are the servants of men. It enables us to do the business of heaven while we are attending to the business of earth. It sanctifies the common duties of life by showing us how to perform them in the light of heaven. Isn't that beautiful? In other words, what you're doing is an act of worship to God. And it's for him. And it's for his benefit. And, and here's the big idea. The big idea is that above your boss is another boss, and his name is Jesus Christ. And, and so, ultimately, you work for Jesus. And this is why Paul continues here in verse 6, verse six and he says, Not with eye service, but as men pleasers, uh, but as bondservants of Christ, uh, doing the will of God from the heart with good will during service, <clears throat> excuse me, as to the Lord and not to men, knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or whether he's free. See, the idea here is that, man, it, it can't be with eye service. It can't be, hey, the boss is coming. You ever work with somebody that got boss radar, Right? And they just know they're the biggest blow it in the world. They've got, you know, solitaire up on their computer and, and Facebook and they've got, you know, they're surfing the web and all of a sudden, you know, they start working and they're you're like the canary in the coal mine. When they start going, you're like, boss is coming for sure. Because this guy wouldn't work, you know, if he had to. But, you know, here comes the boss kind of thing. In the fire department, I used to work with a guy like this. Serious. It was no joke. Funny guy. He would have a clipboard and he would spend the whole day walking, you know, in battalion headquarters with this clipboard, and he would just always walk with purpose like he was doing something. I'm like, where are you going with that clipboard? He's like, I just don't want the chief to, to you know, get on me or whatever. I'm like, dude, you were working harder at not working than if you just worked. <laughs> and, and so this is, this is Paul's point. He's like, look, uh, not, don't, don't, act like, don't act like that. Don't, don't be pretending to work. And, and you might say, well, you know, that's not me. I, I would never do something like that. And my question for you is, you know, <laughs> I mean, I talked about Facebook. I talked about surfing the web. Some of you, that's, that's your work day. When, you know, you sit there maybe in your cubicle. You maybe are there at work, whatever it is. You're being paid to do a job, but you're really surfing. Pay- I, I see some people, you know, they're posting on Facebook, and you're like, well, what are you doing looking at Facebook, you know? Okay, well, <laughs> there you go. Maybe I'm guilty. <clears throat> But I see some people, they post all the time, and I'm thinking, when do you have any time for work? And, and again, as I preach a message, I'm preaching to myself, this is something that we all have to take a walk with, because ultimately, if we're spending time on Facebook instead of working, if we're spending time surfing the web instead of working, if I'm spending time walking around a clipboard instead of working, really, what I'm doing is I'm stealing. And, uh, and I, again, no pun intended, take a walk with that. You know, put the clipboard down, take a mental walk with, am I stealing from, from my employer by pretending to work? See, ultimately, we're going to stand before Jesus, and we're going to, be, going to give an account of our life, and that includes, what kind of employee have you been? Verse 9, we continue. <clears throat> Here's what Paul says. He says, and you masters, insert the name, you know, boss there, uh, you bosses, do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven and there is no partiality with him. So here's what he's saying. He's saying every boss has a boss and his name is Jesus Christ. And if Jesus is your boss, then he's in authority over you and you then have to treat others the way that he treats you. 
And if you'll notice, Paul's exhortation is that, hey, you bosses, do the same things to them. What does he mean by that? Here's what he means by that. Basically, what he means is, look, your employees are commanded to, to, to care about the job that they're doing for you, the boss. And you, the boss, you're commanded to care about the employees who are doing the job. That's the idea. When he says, you, you know, you do the same, uh, you masters do the same things to them. To the degree that you want them to be committed and faithful to do their job, you have to be committed and faithful to do your job. And what is your job if you're an employer? Hey, listen, your job is to take care of your employees. That's your job. Your, your employees, see, again, <clears throat> he's talking here, Paul's talking from the context of a, a society where slaves are possessions, they're not people. Slaves are, are really products, they're not people. And some employers have this idea about their people. You know, they think, you know, this is just a product, this is just a possession, and, and I'm going to, you know, plug this guy in, and if he doesn't do the job, then I'll fire him, and I'll get somebody else to do the job. Now, a boss does have to fire people from time to time, but we also have this obligation that they, I have to treat them first as people and not as a possession. And so this this this. There's a lot of different angles that I could take on this. What I would say is, um, there's three things I would focus on here. <coughs> First thing I would say is that if, you, if you're a boss, if you're an employer, number one, you have to care for your employees. You have to care for them. And, and so caring for your employees, it means a lot of different things. It means, okay, hey, look, do I provide them medical insurance? Do I provide them life insurance? One of, one of the things that we do as a church, we look at all of the, the people that we employ as heads of household, and, and we provide every single one of them life insurance. And there's a very practical reason for that. I mean, tragically, I, I know of uh, a, you know, a, a pastor who, who died young, left a wife, left children, had no life insurance, and what that does is it places a horrible burden on his wife, places a horrible burden on his children, and it places a horrible burden on the church. Because now the church is in the place financially where they say, look, we, we have to replace, because we no longer have a pastor, we have to replace him. But financially, we're not in a place where we can provide two incomes. And so now that church is in a very difficult, awkward place. And, and so what ends up happening, and I know in this situation, what ended up happening was, well, the 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 widow was left in a very bad place. And so for us, we look and we go, you know what, we're going to provide, I mean, life insurance for, for, for a guy, you get term life insurance, is 50, 60 bucks a month. And I'm like, okay, that what that's going to do is it's not going to put the church in a bad place financially, and it's thinking about the employee. It's saying, what's, what happens if this head of household, you know, is, is on a missions trip and, and gets hit by a bus, and now, you know, he, he, he doesn't come home. Well, at least we know that we've thought about his family and we've provided for his family. So you as an employer, you have to think the same thing. You have to think about how am I caring for, for my employees? What, what, what am I doing for them with medical insurance, with life insurance, and, and so on? Are, are you, are you compensating, compensating them fairly? And, and again, you, you're, it's not a, a matter of, you know, you just everything to the, hey, we're going to take care of the employee and that ultimately the, the company is going to suffer. There is a balance there, but you have to take a walk with what can I do as an employer, you know, to fairly compensate my people. Same thing with time off. 
Am I giving this person adequate time off? Am I giving them adequate consideration? Hey, listen, am I noticing what's going on with these people? I, from time to time, I've gone up to some of our employees. I'm like, hey, take the day off tomorrow. Because I just recognize, I just discern, you know what? Uh, this guy is just, you know, he's got his foot to the floor and, and we're going to burn him out. So again, you want to make sure that you care for your employees. Second, secondly, what Paul says here is he says you don't want to threaten them. And again, you know, in this day and in this age, and when Paul's talking to masters, slaves were treated like possessions, and the attitude was, if your slave isn't doing the job, kill him. Just take him out. And there are stories of, I mean, horror stories that are written in, in historical literature where, you know, the, the slave broke a dish and, and they fed him to the wild dogs, you know. There, somebody, another slave... Uh, just just irritated the boss, just whatever he did, and he threw him in a pool of, of, of eels and to, to have him eaten alive. It's actually historical uh, recorded you know, fact. It happened. And there's all kinds of situations like this. And, you know, I would, I would, tell, I would argue that that's a hostile work environment, right? <laughs> that is a hostile work environment. And some of you employers, you've created a hostile work environment. And so don't threaten your, your employees, you need, to, you need to care for them. You need to give them training. You need to establish what their expectations are. You need to, to, to give them encouragement. I, I heard the story of, of Thomas Watson, who was the founder of IBM. And uh, he had an employee one day make a million-dollar mistake. And so the employee thought, I'm toast. He wrote up his letter of resignation. He went into Thomas Watson's office, and, and his response was, I just invested a million dollars in you. You think I'm going to fire you? You just learned a million-dollar lesson. He kept the guy on staff. See, the, the issue for us, training, expectations, encouragement, don't create a hostile work environment. That's the idea. And, uh, and I close with this. Listen, Paul basically says, look, you bosses, you've got to remember that you have a boss, Jesus Christ. And, and, and again, I just close with this exhortation, and these are just a couple of points you would, I would encourage you to take a walk with, and, uh, and then we'll close in prayer and partake of communion together. Here's, here's what I would say. Search your heart. Ask the question, Lord, do I have sin in this area? Have I been a sinful employee? Have I been a sinful boss? Do I need to repent of something? Do I need to apologize to someone? Uh, where am I not serving like I should? How could I be a better employee? How could I be a better volunteer? How am I responding to authority? How am I exercising authority? These are, these are questions that, that we do well to, to take a walk with. Again, God's word's in intensely practical. It is to prepare you for heaven but it's also to equip you to glorify him here on the earth. How are you doing with that?